Aloha, everyone. On behalf of Domino's Hawaii, we wanted to take a moment to thank our team members for working through these trying times. And we wanted to thank our community for not just supporting us, but most importantly, supporting each other amid this climate of change and continued uncertainty. It is difficult to fathom some of the recent tragedies that have occurred, but what we can do collectively is aspire to be better for one another. We don't want to disrupt this message by taking time to promote some meaningless special. All that can be found on our website or app. Instead, once again, mahalo for your strength and your character. And we look forward to our very special community here in Hawaii getting back to work and making the world a better place. And with that, let's talk sports. What's up, Jordan? It's another episode of Let's Talk Sports. Let's warm things up as we like to do a little pregame action. Hard Knocks premiered this week on HBO. It's a combo edition of the show featuring both LA teams, the Rams and Chargers. Episode one focused a lot on the teams dealing with the coronavirus protocols. Did not feature the, the usual standard action opening sequence with the classic theme music. Uh, it was just a little bit different the way they went about it. Uh, but I love that song, and I love this show, and it got me thinking as our warm-up topic, is that the best TV sports production theme music ever? If not, where would you rank it? Oh, it's up there, man. It is good, right? It is really good. Uh, anything NFL or sort of <laughs> NFL films related, whether it's like The Autumn Wind or some of those vintage old school, even almost black and white NFL films footage is it's brilliant, right? It's, it's, it's symphonic uh, in the way that, that that music comes across. So I, the Hard Knocks theme is really good. Uh, I'm always sort of partial, and it wasn't necessarily a long period of time, and it was also very specific, but it was the, the BCS on ABC theme music. Mm. Uh, they, and it was different from the ABC college football theme music because they would only use it for the four BCS games, including the national championship game up until Fox got the BCS. And then obviously the college football playoff is back on ESPN slash ABC. Uh, but that music, and if you're unfamiliar, go Google it, go look it up on YouTube. I don't think we have the rights to just play it on our podcast. You can hum it cost though. Do you, do you, they probably you cost way too much money. So I'm going to screw it up because it's very like <laughs> game of thronesy, like in the tones and kind of deep things. And so I always end up humming it in my head and then turning into like, the reigns of Castamere. <laughs> like it always ends up going in the wrong direction. Uh, so I, I'm just going to leave it to our, our very resourceful listeners uh, to go out and just YouTube that thing. And if you're going to look up any edition, just, just watch the intro to the 05 Rose Bowl, USC, Texas, and it's Keith Jackson narrating a little video montage talking about Reggie Bush and Matt Leinart and Vince Young in that epic game with the ABC BCS theme music sort of as the soundtrack under it. It is the best intro to like anything I've ever seen. Uh, so that's, that's, that's number one in my book. Okay. All the NFL film stuff, you're right. Especially the old days with the John Facenda voiceovers. Mm -hmm. I mean, they exactly. just added to it. So those were great. Uh, I would actually say that I thought the hard knocks theme reminded me of the reigns of Castamere, like that's that the, the, the like I feel like that's yeah. part of that song too. So uh, when I was watching Game of Thrones, I was thinking, wait, are they playing the Hard Knocks theme? Wow, that's some uh, great cross promotional work there, branding wise mm -hmm. for HBO. Uh, but uh, you know, I think for for me, maybe the most recognizable TV production theme song would be the Monday Night Football, right? I think Round Ball Rock, the old NBA on NBC theme music yes. uh, is certainly up there as, as far as like nostalgia. That's the one that fills me with the most just, just uh, good fuzzy feeling memories. Uh, but I would say that Hard Knocks is the one when I hear it, that's the one that I just want to put on my sneakers and shorts and go pretend to work out somewhere because that's the theme music that gets me the most pumped up. I don't really want to work out, but, uh, but yeah, definitely that's the one that, that pumps me up a little bit in that way as far as motivational music goes. What do you think of that first episode, by the way? Yeah, I, I, fascinating, right? Trying to see them set things up with, with all of the COVID protocols, that giant tent um, that the, the Rams put in their parking lot. It's amazing all the resources they also have where they can just construct all these temporary structures and things um, and put everything in place. Uh, the, the money in the NFL is just at a different level. 
but kind of on the theme music, the opening, right? That's what stands out to me. It's sort of that cold open, the big Zoom meeting with the Chargers, and then Anthony Lynn just sort of drops it on him that, that he had had COVID. Uh, and so you're, you're like, oh, you know, you kind of perk up, right? You're kind of watching and getting into it, and then, then you automatically perk up. And you're like, wow, yeah, that's, a, that's another one that kind of hits close to him. Also, Anthony Lynn, he, he's like the, the Idris Elba of – NFL coaches, right? He's got he's got that look. He's got the strong jaw, strong jawline. He's got the the white in the beard. That's a that's a strong looking man. Yeah, you know, between him and Sean McVay, these like might be the two coolest head coaches in the <laughs> NFL. I mean, they just got swag. You see Sean McVay's house and the pool and the <laughs> yeah. view that they have. Like, dude, this guy's living his best life without a doubt. And his hair always looks fantastic like it does not matter if he's been wearing a face shield a mask whatever when he takes it off the hair is Hollywood movie set ready like it's unbelievable um those two coaches got some swag there's no doubt they're supposed to be the two head coaches in LA right (laughs) it makes it makes all the sense in the world all right let's get to the welcome uh here to the show another episode of let's talk sports with Kanoa Leahy and Jordan Helley and we're going to be talking with ILH executive director Blaine Geisen yes the uh, executive director of the Interscholastic League of Honolulu Uh, it is very much up in the air as to whether or not we are going to see any form of sports played on the prep level here this calendar year Uh, but Blaine Geisen always a joy to talk to one of the great athletes to come out of Hawaii out of Kamehameha played at the University of Hawaii uh, was the guy who basically is credited with establishing the tradition of the senior walk after uh, the UH football seasons. Uh, He's just a great guy. He is in better shape than you and I will ever be. And he's like, you know, uh, a fair amount of years older than us. But the guy is just an absolute stud. And, uh, you know, dealing with this challenge that is the coronavirus pandemic. And we'll get his thoughts on just how much of a challenge that is. Yeah, he's, uh, he's an inspirational guy. Just his story and then the fact that he is still just so ripped when it comes to being in physical shape, right? It's, it's a monumental job that these administrators have now, especially on the prep level, right? Where you're talking about sort of the purity of sports and trying to balance the, um, the safety precautions and all of that. Yeah, he's a guy uh, was my old boss when I was on the uh, football coaching staff at Kamehameha Maui. He was the athletics director there. We'd have like 8 a.m. practices. Uh, and so the coaches, we'd get out there at 7.30. We, you know, we got to set some things up, make sure we got the practice plans in. And Coach Geisen will have been like running two miles around the track. He had been out there before dawn. Um, and we'd just be like, man, what it, where this guy's putting us to shame. We were kind of young coaches at the time, you know? So yeah, I always, I always think of that. The guy's always on the move. So I really enjoyed that conversation. We'll play that for you uh, in just a little bit. But first, let's get to our game time. And the first topic, a lot has happened with regard to college football here in the last few days. The Big Ten and the Pac-12 have both announced the postponement of fall sports, obviously the big juggernaut being football, while the SEC, Big 12, and ACC still positioning themselves to have a fall season and have a football season. Now, that creates, obviously, a huge fracture. This is the Power Five conference crew that we're talking about that would at least introduce the opportunity to also still have the college football playoff. And Clemson's Dabo Swinney is already on record saying, in essence, that if that is the case, uh, if it's just the SEC, Big 12, and ACC, would that taint the national championship? He says it would not. So the first question to you, Jordan, do you agree with Dabo Swinney? No. Right. I mean, if you're only going to, I mean, I get it, right. This there's, there's a joke about the PAC 12, not even <laughs> participating in the playoff most years there, you know, as low hanging fruit, uh, the big 10 has, has sort of missed out it at times as well. And, and it's basically been Ohio state, right. The only one to make noise. I know Michigan state has gotten in there uh, on a couple of different occasions and gotten waxed. Uh, so yeah, if you're, if you really want to talk about like what the college football playoff has been, it has been Clemson and it has been the sec. Uh, we get that. And so that's probably what will happen if we do end up getting uh, an actual college fall football season. But it's it's a situation, I think, where the the least – we're going to be looking at, what, maybe half the teams in the FBS participating in football, if that, um, because most of the, the, the group of five conferences as well, I think, are heading in that direction, especially with the MAC and the Mountain West. So, no, it's, it's going to – of course it's going to be tainted. You know, I hate to admit it. I hate to admit it because I'm not the biggest Dabo Sweeney fan. I don't love a lot of the way he conducts himself, the stance he has taken in some situations. But I got to say, 
if you're talking about the college football playoff specifically, and, and let's just say and assume that that's going to be a composition of, if you go with four teams, two SEC teams, one out of the ACC, likely Clemson, and one out of the Big 12, like that's probably what the college football playoff would look like anyway, or at least it's a very high probability. And so hard to argue that that wouldn't, at least unto itself as an entity, be something that pays a legitimate dividend from college football fandom, right? Um, I do agree that the season as a whole would be tainted to a degree because you're talking about two Power Five conferences and a host of other uh, group of five teams that uh, could at least make noise perhaps when it comes to a national conversation. But as far as the CFP itself, like I don't think anybody's going to be watching that and going, wow, this is really lacking name brand power. or This is really lacking legitimacy because we have uh, what could likely have been the four top teams or the four teams assumed to uh, be deserving of spots in the college football playoff. Anyway, uh, this has also brought about a different question, prompted a lot of people to ask the question, hey, do you think college football needs a commissioner to oversee and make uniform these kinds of decisions where it's, hey, look, either they all play or they don't play, much like the professional commissioners. Uh, do you think college football needs someone or something of that variety? Oh, yeah, they definitely need one. Uh, whether they'll get one, whether we'll uh, even see one anytime in the near future, I think is a, is a different question. But yeah, it's, college football is as rogue as it can possibly be, right? It, it, at, the, at the FBS level. The NCAA has nothing to do with the most popular sport, the sport that gives the most revenue to college institutions. Uh, they're, they're completely on their own, right? The NCAA has nothing to do with it. So it's a loose conglomeration of these different leagues. Everybody's operating under different rules. We've seen that, especially in these times of crisis, uh, when, it, when it, you would need some of that coordination, when you would need uh, some of that um, workability, especially when you have this giant chasm between the five power conferences and the group of five conferences as it is. I mean, there is a tiered structure within this system. And so a commissioner would help absolutely, right? Because it would get people on the same page. It would allow for a bit more coordination, but the biggest schools won't benefit from it. If they, if you allow for, for more equity when it comes to this thing, that means sharing a little bit more of the revenue that maybe means allowing athletes, right, to form this players association that they're talking about because we're going to be operating on a little bit more of an even footing. So yeah, and they, they desperately need it if they want a football season to exist. But if you look at it from the SEC standpoint, from the ACC standpoint, even the Big 12, um, they're like, man, we don't need the other conferences. As you pointed out, we're going to have potentially a blockbuster type of season where you're playing high marquee matchups in conference every week for eight weeks or whatever it is, 10 weeks. And then we're going to have a college football playoff with still four of the biggest brands in all of American sports. And so from their standpoint, like they could do without a commissioner. What do they need one of those for? Right. It's just going to get in the way of them doing things what they want. And so yeah, I don't see it happening, right? <laughs> You'd have to almost have like government intervention or something. There's some antitrust lawsuits or something there that maybe could make it happen. These planetary systems that exist in the in the college football uh, universe are just are just so far apart. The TV money ruins all of it, right? Because it's so skewed. <laughs> yeah. And even the payout from the college football playoff, it is so skewed and so heavily weighed towards the Power Five conference members. Those TV contracts motivate those conferences to operate individually. And that's why the SEC has sort of been like, oh, really? The Big Ten's thinking of doing that and the pac is doing that? That has nothing to do with us. And so I think it's impossible to establish someone or something in the role of a commissioner because of the discrepancies with regard to the revenue sharing, the, the money that is garnered from TV contracts and things of that nature. You can have a commissioner of a professional league because the TV contract pertains to everybody. It is the league as a whole. That's not the case in college football. So I think it's impossible, not to mention as it pertains to something like this, like the pandemic where you can at least make the argument that it is impacting different regions of the country in different ways. Uh, but I think the idea of having a commissioner in, in the current form and state of college football is an impossibility. I just don't see it as, as something that is realistic to even consider. All right, moving on, we go to the NBA. Playoff, play in. There will be a play-in game for the final NBA playoff spot as the 
eighth position in the Western Conference. You're going to have the play-in tournament, as they're calling it, between the Blazers and the Grizzlies. Basically, the Blazers have played their way into the eighth spot, so they have the advantage. Uh, they need to beat the Grizzlies just once, but Memphis needs to beat Portland twice in order to advance and get that number eight position in the playoffs, which are scheduled to start next week. My Spurs got knocked out. The Suns, who went 8-0 and in the bubble, ultimately got eliminated. And so Memphis going into this NBA restart was the eighth seed. And remember, the NBA only invited 22 teams and teams that were within a certain amount of games of that number eight spot. But it was Memphis's to lose. And so the NBA sort of making that decision. Did Memphis get a raw deal by this setup for the restart? Uh, maybe a little. I think there's an argument to be made there. I don't think it's that egregious. Uh, I almost, you know, had Portland lost last night uh, as we record this on a Friday morning. I actually thought they would maybe have the strongest case because they end up playing one more game than Memphis and Phoenix. And had they lost, their win percentage would have dipped below those two. Um, we would have had the Suns playing the Grizzlies in this 8-9 matchup. And then, of course, you could say, right, if you're Memphis, you're like, hey, we played one less game. Give us one more game. We can go win that thing uh, and get back into the eighth spot. And and so it was always going to be a little incongruous just because of the the differences in games played coming into the eight-game bubble uh, in terms of the playoff seeding games. Uh, but I'd love this. I'd love this concept. The fact that we came down to basically the final day. I know there are games going on today, but none of them matter. Uh, and you're already seeing a ton of teams sit out, anybody who's got any sort of <laughs> significant role on those teams, um, including the Heat and, and all these teams playing today. But I, I love this concept. Like, I, I, I want to see this every year, like a 7 versus 10 and an 8 versus 9 matchup to get into the 18 playoff field. I just think it created so much excitement yesterday. I'd love to see all those games going on simultaneously. I know that's a little impossible uh, when you're playing on a, you know, a three-court uh, limit at, at the Orlando bubble. But I, I just, the excitement was, was tangible, man. Uh, the Blazers having to win that game, the Nets not backing down and trying to ruin their season, right? I, I just thought that, that was so much fun. It was so much fun, and I think you can create this added excitement uh, to the end of the season uh, where you get some of these teams playing in these very meaningful games uh, in the final couple of days uh, to figure out who maybe gets into the eight teams. Yeah, I do think that it was incongruent, as you mentioned, because the Spurs, I think, ended up playing two fewer games than yeah. all of the other teams that were vying for the eighth spot. And, uh, of course, I'm going to represent San Antonio and just how they were wronged and saw their playoff streak of 22 straight years come to an end. Uh, but I do kind of feel, I can't help but feeling that Memphis – got jobbed. Uh, and then Memphis ends up losing Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, he gets hurt, and so they're not going to be as strong going into this play-in tourney against the Blazers. I just feel like, yeah, if I'm Memphis, uh, I'm pretty bummed. And you wonder, if that were the L.A. Clippers or if that were the New York Knicks, say, on the eastern side in the eighth position, would the NBA have been so proactive in trying to create this playoff race or because those were teams connected to larger markets, would they have uh, been uh, a little bit more apt to say, all right, you guys are in, you've played your way into the top eight, uh, we'll just restart with the top 16 teams. Like, it makes you at least think. I, I do feel like Memphis was at a disadvantage just because of the market that they're in, uh, that they wouldn't be as high a priority, let's say, for the NBA to make sure that they were in as opposed to trying to create some restart bubble drama. And in fact, the bubble has introduced a slew of perhaps unlikely ballers, right? There's sort of the casual conversation about the bubble MVP. I mean, you've had guys like TJ Warren break out, uh, Devin Booker and the Phoenix Suns. Like, how good were they in the bubble? It's almost a shame that they aren't going to be playing on further because they look like they could beat or compete with anybody over there in Orlando. Uh, Luka Doncic continues to ball. You talked about Dane Lillard in the previous episode. I mean, he was just awesome. Back-to-back -back 50 burgers, including a 60 burger on the second night. Uh, he has just been unstoppable. So if you had to name a bubble MVP as we approach the end of the regular season portion of the restart, who's your bubble MVP, man? Yeah, I know, you know, TJ Warren's going to get some love. But to me, it had to come from one of the teams that were vying, that were playing the most meaningful games. Uh, and so I know the Grizzlies kind of struggled a little bit down the stretch. Uh, Devin Booker was amazing, right? 8-0 for the Suns. Uh, he's putting up like 35 every night down the stretch, kind of had uh, an opportunity to to step off the gas, if you will, let off the gas yesterday as they kind of blew out 
the Mavericks. Yeah, it's Damian Lillard, right? I mean, this team was playing for their lives. They basically had to win what their last three, four games to get into this spot, including last night. You may, his last four of his last five games, he goes 45 against the Nuggets. He it t- cools off 22 against the Clippers, 51 against the Sixers, 61 against the Mavericks. And then last night against the Nets, he goes for 42. Like the, the dude was playing out of his mind. Uh, and so to me, the MVP of the bubble, which I, they're giving out these awards, right? They're giving out some, some bubble awards, like most outstanding. I don't know what they're calling it or whatever, but it's, it's, it's Lillard, man. Yeah, I agree. And it's almost tied to that 22-point performance against the Clippers where he missed two key free throws down the stretch. And you had Pat Beverly and Paul George and Marcus Morris sort of laughing at him. And then Skip Bayless was questioning whether or not Dame time is a real thing. And since then, he has just been on a mission. And he has been a guy who refuses to be stopped. Uh, And he hasn't been getting a ton of help. Like C.J. McCollum, his running mate in the backcourt, hasn't been playing or shooting his best here in the last few games, especially down the stretch of these games. And so, Dame, you could kind of see it when you watch it. Like, he's thinking, I just got to put it on my shoulders, and I got to make it happen. And he has the ability to do so. He hit a shot uh, last game from the NBA logo at midcourt. Like, just dribbling casually up. Once he crossed the timeline, he, like, pulled up and dropped it, and it was like a key bucket. And just to have the onions to shoot that in the first place is remarkable and probably deserving of recognition. But then to hit it? Like, you got to be you gotta be kidding me, man. This dude is so legit, and he is definitely the bubble MVP, and I'm looking forward to seeing what the Blazers could do if they get one of those uh, wins against Memphis, uh, what they could do in an 8-1 matchup with the Lakers because I don't think the Lakers have anybody in their backcourt uh, that has an answer for Dame Lillard. All right, we move on to our Domino's Hawaii main topping, and it is our conversation with the great Blaine Geisen. He is the ILH executive director, and he talks about all of the challenges pertaining to this pandemic and if or when we might be able to expect to see some form of ILH sports here this academic year. Uh, Let's go ahead and play that interview with Blaine Geisen. All right, here with Blaine Geisen, and uh, what has life been like here throughout the pandemic uh, professionally for you uh, as far as going into the office, as far as as just divvying up your schedule uh, with regard to the the virus? Well, there's no question that there's a new normal. It's not the same. You know, we we get to the office every day, and that's about the only normal thing about it is coming into the office. But after that, once we get onto the computer and the phone start ringing, it's totally different. You know, we've, uh, we're just basically trying to do as best we can as we look forward to giving our kids the opportunity to participate in sports. But again, a lot of that is based upon what the, what our governor and our leaders in our state basically decide. And, and that's been the, the, the most frustrating thing about it. But, you know, we're putting our, our, our nose to the grind and just trying to make sure that we put uh, get our schedules together. Uh, we've been very fortunate that uh, all five leagues throughout the state have agreed to just kind of work together as one team, which is a really great thing. And just as we move forward on a weekly basis, just put together a contingency plans so that when, when it does happen, we're ready to go. You know, I do want to talk about some of that stuff. Obviously, that's at the forefront of all of the local sports headlines. But uh, I'm curious because you are a notorious fitness-oriented guy, and, and you uh, are, are known to work out incessantly. Uh, what is that like? For you, I mean, a guy who keeps yourself in such great shape, uh, what have been the challenges with regard to that here over the course of the pandemic? Yeah, well, as you know, one of my favorite things is playing basketball every Saturdays with the guys, and that that basically came to a stop. So, you know, it's hard to replace that because it's not just playing the basketball, it's also the fellowship that we have. But for the most part, you know, I've been, uh, you know, up in the morning as usual, uh, getting my workouts, uh, do my workouts, do my runs. Uh, spend a lot more time in the water now with my one-man canoe. Uh, I'm lucky enough that my daughter lives on the bay over in Kaneohe, so there's a dock over there that I can just, uh, at any time during the week, I can just drive over there, park my car, put my boat on the water, and get going. So, yeah, but a lot of it is just, uh, it's, you know, more so now than ever before, you know, just having that quiet time trying to think out there and, you know, do think about things that we can or develop plans that we can put into to work so that way uh, as, we, as we work with the schools and as we take one step at a time, looking at what's happening within our state, uh, you know, we just trying to find out answers, but it's hard. It's really hard, especially when there's uh, right now there, there's so many things going on that, uh, you know, it's, it's hard to move forward when you got people holding you back. You know? 
Would you say that that's sort of the time when you're able to do the most prevalent thinking is when you're on your one man, when you're sort of out on the water and, and you know, dealing with, with Mother Nature in, in that pure form, but, but also able to keep the wheels turning? Yeah, you know, it really gives me a you know, time to really evaluate what we're doing. Uh, you don't have to deal with phone calls or people knocking on your door. You know, it's just a good hour and a half, two hour time period where you just kind of really uh, get into yourself, meditate on things and think about what's best, you know. So uh, love that time together. You know, we've got a lot more time now than ever before, but still, there's still a lot of work that we got to do. Yeah, the, the, the one man seems like it was made for social distancing, right? <laughs> it's perfect, quite honestly. You know, I think if you go, if you get out there in the water during the weekend or just any other day, you'll see a lot more one-man guys out there. You know, you can't get out there in the six-man canoe anymore. So, again, the one-man has been a true answer and a gift. Yeah, so you, you said, uh, you know, some of the planning and all of these kind of deals. Um, you know, the HHSA just made that announcement, uh, what was it, last week, that, that all fall sports were going to be pushed back to the beginning of January, uh, maybe leaving the door open for winter sports to to get started uh, during their usual start time, which isn't until November. So we won't see high school sports probably until November at the earliest at this point. Uh, just how hard was it to get to that decision for, for everybody involved? And, um, you know, what do you foresee sort of in the meantime trying to get us to, to maybe a November start date? Well, you know, quite honestly, it really wasn't that difficult. You know, I think we all kind of knew, especially when the Ivy League schools came on and said that they're going to cancel their programs for the year. I mean, you're talking about, you know, a league that basically academically they're known for their greatness. And, you know, I'm sure back in March when this pandemic first hit the news, you know, they started doing their research and within a month they made their decision. So for us, we kind of knew that, you know, if they're making that type of decision, then events just going to trickle down, you know, to the high school level. We're going to have to start looking at it. And lo and behold, here we are. You know, they we're back. We're right where we thought we would be. So, you know, we kind of knew that, uh, that this, this was a possibility that we may have to go in and move our fall sports. In fact, there still may be a possibility that we may have no sports until the end of the year. You know, we may not even have it at all. You know, we might have to wait till next year. So, but in the meantime, we've got to do our due diligence and make sure that we're creating contingency plans so that way if it does open up, you know, we give our kids that opportunity to play. Yeah, how, uh, you, you know, you're in a unique league, right? In, in the, most of the other leagues, it's public schools and they're operating under one umbrella, whereas in your league, every school's different, right? Some schools are, are back on campus. Some schools are, mm-hmm. are postponing and things like that. But uh, what's the unique dynamic, if you will, uh, when you're talking about the ILH? Well, the good thing with us is, is our executive board in the ILH basically agreed that we were going to be good team players with the rest of the rest of the f- other four leagues in our state. And we wanted to make sure that we move forward together. But, you know, now we're getting to the time and the place where we have our schools starting up. We have schools that already started up. And so we want to make sure, again, that we provide the opportunities for our kids. Of course, the academic programs are are the priority. It's getting back in school, getting the school started. The athletic programs is secondary to that. Uh, but yeah, we, we, you know, we're looking at what we're capable of doing. And I think pretty soon we're going to have to make a decision as a league, you know, to, to go ahead and give our kids that opportunity. And so it may mean, you know, not participating in state championships if it, moves, if it, if it happens, you know, because again, we want to look out for what's best for our kids. You know, we understand the, the, you know, we made the agreement to stay together and work together, but now we're getting to the point where, you know, we're just going to have to do what's best for our schools and for our league. Yeah, because how, how do you weigh that, right? I mean, obviously, the, the safety precautions and health being the top priority for everyone that's involved with the playing of prep sports, but you have to weigh that against the you know mental health challenges that introduce themselves for these young people who uh, sports have usually been such a huge part of their lives. How do you do the math personally on that, uh, and, and particularly from the vantage point of your position? Well, the, the priority, first and foremost, is the safety of the kids. You know, that, that's always going to be at the forefront, and it's been at the forefront. So as we work with all our contingency plans, you know, everything we do is to make sure that we're providing as safe an environment as we can for our kids. You know, and even though we've had these contingency plans, our schools independently, because we are an independent school league, you know, they can choose not to participate. You know, we've had certain plans for certain sports, and I know some principals were concerned about, you know, how do you run cross-country with that many kids? How do you go out there and bowl in the bowling alley with social distancing? You know, but our ADs put together some real great plans, and some principals agreed with it, some principals didn't. 
So basically, it's just going to boil down to whether or not they want to allow their kids to participate in our league. But we still have the responsibility of providing them that opportunity. And that was our goal. It continues to be our goal. And again, in the process of doing those, setting those things up, again, we've always put back, we always go back to the number one question. Okay, how safe is this for our kids? We're talking with ILH Executive Director Blaine Geisen. It sounds as though you envision a scenario where uh, ILH members can move forward with the playing of at least certain sports, even if that isn't the case for your OIA colleagues. Yeah, that's true. We, you know, we, we basically put together a plan and we felt that uh, we could do certain sports. Um, you know, we basically believed that we could do air riflery. We felt we can do bowling. We also felt that we could do cross country. We had a, a program and a schedule that was all set. We basically ran it through our executive board and they were very, very comfortable with it. You know, and so we were really looking forward to going out there starting our uh, starting our, our season, and we still may, you know. But now that we've gotten back and took take a couple, we took a couple steps backwards because of the again that curve jumping back up there, you know, there is still some concern. So we're we're still looking at the at the possibility of running our air air rifle and our bowling, you know. And people may say, well, how do you do the bowling? You know, well for us it's okay because we basically are using the military bases as our bowling facility. You know, and they don't have any, they, they have a plan over there and we're, we're basically adhering to their plan. And so, but it still allows us to go out there and participate. Whereas with the, the other, the Oahu bowling facilities like Leeward Bowl and so forth, IEA, you know, they're closing, they're, they're closed down. They can't do anything. But so we still have that opportunity. Uh, it's really interesting. And then, and then of course, everybody's going to be curious, right, about football, it, when and if it takes place at any point during this academic calendar year, whether it's the spring or they get started maybe just in January. What do you envision having to take place to, to get football going, um, if at any point? Well, the first thing is, you know, we've got to get back to, uh, to we got to get you know, to the red or the green period. You know, the, right now we're, we're in the lower part of the yellow period as far as what the governor has set up. And so, you know, we were making tremendous progress as we were moving along before these numbers started to increase. So we felt that eventually we could get to the football. Uh, but now it looks like we obviously we won't be able to get that during the fall. I think if the numbers start to drop, and hopefully it does, you know, in the next couple of weeks, maybe even the next month or so, then we, we're we putting together a plan where hopefully we can get this thing or move our football to sometime in the spring, maybe early part of uh, the spring. In fact, not even early part of the spring, but right into the winter season. Yeah, and, and for the past several years, uh, the ILH, the OIA, they've, they've come to this scheduling agreement that, that, from our perspective, at least on the outside looking in, has, has been very beneficial, I think, to everybody involved. Um, you know, you've already thrown out the scenario of, of the ILH um, kind of keeping competition in league for, for some of the other lower-risk sports, if you will. Um, does that complicate things once you get to football with the limited number of schools that participate in the sport uh, for the ILH if you, if you are looking at something in the spring? No, it doesn't. You know, I think we, the bottom line, just being able to get the kids the opportunity to play. And that's what we're looking at, you know. So, uh, you know, we, we, we still have our conversations with the, the, uh, the OIA in regards to keeping our, we run it during the fall or whether we run it in the spring, you know. So that's a, that's a conversation that we're still having. We, in fact, quite, quite honestly, you know, we have schedules pretty much set, you know, in case we do have, it does allow us to go out there and play. And, so, you know, we're kind of looking forward to it. We know that uh, football is, is, is a big sport here in the state of Hawaii. We want to give our kids that opportunity. They do as well. So, again, we'll just continue to see how things plan out. How difficult has it been just to put forth contingency plans, suggested contingency plans, with the fact that the goalpost always seems to be changing because we're continually learning more about the virus, the circumstances surrounding the virus, number of cases, whatnot, that continues to change and evolve. How difficult a task has that been for someone in your position? Well, you know, it's been difficult, not just for, for me and, uh, and for the other executive directors, it's been real difficult for a lot of our athletic directors. You know, they are the guys that have basically been putting these plans together, working on the schedules, uh, they are the ones that have been having the discussions to come up with ideas as to how we could get this thing done. Uh, and they've done a tremendous job. I mean, the, the conversations that we've had, you know, from within our league, with our ADs, not just within our league, but also outside of our league and the, the relationship that we've established with our public school ADs and also the neighbor islands uh, has really helped a lot in regards to what we're looking at. So there's been a lot of communication, a lot of sharing of ideas. 
you know, see, trying to look to see what would work, what doesn't work. And there, there's no question a lot of our people have to think, are thinking outside the box. Uh, it's become very, very creative, to tell you the honest truth. And so with that, it's been, uh, it's been frustrating because there's really no start date. There's no green light. And we're just in, you know, we were, we were in the yellow area, which is good. You know, but now it looks like we're more in the red area. You know, we got the red light to put in, really holding us back from doing what we really had planned to do. You know, and you, you hear and see a lot, certainly via social media, a lot of resistance from parents of kids who are perhaps in the camp of preferring that their kids be in classroom uh, for the school session. Uh, do you get much of that on the sports side? Do you get some resistance in that form? Yeah, we do. We, we get it. We, we certainly get that. We get a number of phone calls or emails, um, people inquiring, uh, and it comes from both sides. You know, we have on one side with parents or, you know, they're appreciative of, of us not uh, moving forward with this and really keeping a hold on that. Then there are others that say, you know, when are you guys going to get things started? My son or daughter is going to be a senior. So, again, they're focused on getting their kids out there and they're talking about scholarships and not allowing their kids to have that opportunity to get the scholarships for next year and so forth. But, you know, all we can do is just let them know that our priority is the overall safety of every student athlete that's within our league. You know, and the decisions that we make, again, you know, it's not just one man's decision. It's a collective decision of all people within our association, within our league. And then the bottom line is with our ILAs, in the ILAs is with our, with our board of principals and our directors. Yeah, and I know you're, you're pretty involved uh, at the national level when it comes to the athletic administration and, and some of those organizations. Uh, how much has that been a resource uh, in trying to formulate things from a Hawaii level? Uh, it's been a tremendous resource. In fact, uh, it's been good and bad because there are certain parts of the state of, in, in the United States where they're actually playing football. Utah is going to be starting playing football this weekend. There's other places down in Georgia. They're getting ready to start theirs as well. You know, so people are hearing this. They're getting information that, hey, look, they're doing this in Utah. They're doing that in Georgia. You know, how come we can't do that? But, you know, every state is different, you know, and that's the thing that people got to understand is that, you know, we've got a problem going on in our state, in our community. And so it's our government leaders that are basically calling, calling the shots. And we just have to go ahead and adhere to the declarations they come up with. In the state of Utah, you know, they feel that they don't have a problem with it. That's why they're starting this week. They feel they can run it, you know, and so that's exciting for them. You know, and I do know, I do know that some parents, I don't know if they actually uh, have done it or not, but they were even contemplating about maybe packing up and moving to the mainland just because so they can give their kid a, you know, who's a senior that last hurrah and they all are going to play. Yeah, well, I was going to ask you about that because I, I, I saw online last night, I was watching a high school football game in Utah. They played a game last this Thursday night and it was, it was surreal. Um, and and I, I heard some of the same things of, of kids looking to move. And I, and I think some have from, from various places around the state, including here on Maui. Um, you know, and some of them are, you know, are hoping to maybe come back home as well. I mean, is that even a possibility where, uh, you know, some kid who, who maybe ends up in Utah or some of the other states that are sponsoring, maybe not just football, but some of the other sports and then end up coming back home to Hawaii and, and say there's a season in the spring or something like that? Well, as you all know, these are unprecedented times. And in these unprecedented times, there are things that are happening that we've never experienced before. You know, so again, like anything else, uh, we've, been, we've heard it time and time again, this creating a new normal. So in situations like this, if we have a student athlete that maybe transfers out of Hawaii, you know, just because they know they can play football in Utah or some other state that allows it, uh, you know, if they do ever come back in, and then we have our policies and procedures from an HHSAA standpoint. And then also from our league standpoint. But again, those are the type of discussions that we're going to have to have because we've never had a situation like this before. We've never been in a pandemic situation where it affected not just our entire state, but also our, our country. We're talking with ILH Executive Director Blaine Geisen, one of the great athletes to come out of the state of Hawaii, Kamehameha University of Hawaii, at a very sort of transitional, importantly transitional stage of University of Hawaii sports and football in particular, uh, played in the NFL for a time. I don't want to let you go without at least asking you about your playing days. Infamously started the tradition of the senior walk at the end of the UH football season, uh, but there was also a trivia tidbit that I, I may have asked you about before, but someone had told me that uh, you were the individual who was the answer to this trivia question, which is who was the player who scored the last touchdown at the old Honolulu Stadium and the first touchdown 
at Aloha Stadium. Do you know that to be true? Because from what I heard, Blaine Geisen is the answer to that. <laughs> well, that's what I was told. I was, I was the same thing too. I, went, well, I can't remember that was so long ago. <laughs> that is amazing. I, I did get that call, and I did, somebody did call and ask, tell me about that. And I said, this, what, what, it was a friend of mine. He said, did you know that there's a trivia question going around? And this is what they said. And I said, really? I said, wow, that's interesting. I didn't even know that. You know, if it's true, then great. If it's not true, that's great, too. Still, you know, I was just happy to be able to play in both, both in the old stadium and the new stadium. <laughs> Yeah, and there's, you know, maybe going to be a new stadium in a few years, so uh, we got to get you out there and uh, get you uh, into the end zone in some form or fashion. Well, it's going to be on the sidelines for sure. <laughs> that is great. That is great. And even if it's not true, we'll just run with it. Nobody can disprove uh, that trivia question. And, of course, you famously played on both sides of the ball at the University of Hawaii. What's what was more fun? What, what, what brings back fonder memories? Was it, was it playing quarterback? Was it playing safety? Uh, in your time for the Bulls? Well, you know, it was fun playing on both sides, you know, quite honestly. Um, you know, prior to switching over to the defensive side, I was always a quarterback, you know, and just loved, loved playing that position. Um, but then there was a time where, again, you know, I, I, I was redshirted because of a knee injury, and Coach Tommy felt uh, saw enough in me to tell me, says, hey, you know, you're too good of a player to be sitting on the bench. I need you to go play in the secondary. And so I made the switch, and it was a blessing in disguise. So, you know, I love both sides of the game, I mean, both sides of the ball, you know, offense and defense. It was just fun to play. Just, again, you know, back in those days, it didn't matter where you played. You just wanted to be out there on the field wearing the uniform and just playing your butt off out there, you know. And when you had a guy like Coach Tommy, you know, he was one of those most very inspirational people that you you do anything for him, you know. And at that time, that's what we did. You know, he could have told us to be the water boy. Yeah, we'll, we'll go sit on the bench be the water boy if that's what you want me to do, you know. That's – People just loved them and believed them in that way, and I was one of them. So both sides. Both sides of the ball was enjoyable. You know, you got – it certainly gave me a, a wonderful perspective of the overall game because most times people just play on one side, and that's all they see. You know, for me, I had the opportunity to play both, and and uh, it was it certainly uh, it was a blessing. No, that, that is awesome. And I know you got some good NFL stories as well during your time with the Falcons. Uh, I'll, I'll go two for one here. Uh, who, who was the best – opponent you played against whether it was somebody that you had to worry about in coverage some quarterback or whoever it was and and who was the guy that you least wanted to tackle the least uh, you wanted to see break through uh, and have to go make the tackle well the, the best guy that I ever the best football player in my honest opinion back in the day was Walter Payton the hardest guy to tackle again was Walter Payton I mean he was just a tremendous athlete and just one of those guys that uh it was just remarkable. It was enjoyable to, to watch him. It was enjoyable to just to play against him. Um, he made me miss a couple times, and I am not embarrassed to say that because, again, I mean, I remember walking into the game room, I mean, the film room the next day, and Jerry Glanville, who was my defensive secondary coach, you know, he kind of looked at me and he says, hey, Geisen, you got to open your eyes, man. <laughs> you know, I, I, had a, I had a direct angle on Walter Payton on the sidelines, and next thing you know, I'm I just – catching air and he's going five yards the other way. So, I mean, he was probably, to me, of all, all the years and all the athletes, that, there, there was a bunch of them, but he had to have been the best. It must fill you with a, a great sense of, of pride to see where the game has gone, certainly as it pertains to Hawaii football, the Polynesian Football Hall of Fame, the Polynesian Bowl, just all of these superstars of the game that are now coming routinely and frequently out of the state of Hawaii. Uh, from your vantage point, what does that look like? Well, you know, I, I just, you know, I'm just grateful. Grateful to have had people before me, uh, you know, people like Kaliane that were there, Jim Nicholson, you know, Arnold Morgado, Hal Stringer. You know, those are the guys from Hawaii, local guys that basically, you know, they made it in the National Football League. And so growing up as a kid, you know, you knew those guys because not many of those people made it to the National Football League. You know, and then when I was able to have the opportunity, I mean, it was like I never thought I was good enough to play in the National Football League. You know, and I was you know, all of a sudden here I am, you know, given that opportunity. And it was just just amazing, you know, to be able to be out there and, and be on the field, even though Mosey Tutupu and Russ Francis and Paul Dombrowski were playing for the Patriots. You had Jesse Demo, Jesse Sapolo over at Dan Audick that was over at uh, San Francisco. Tom Tuane was up in Detroit. 
you know, wherever you went, we had those people. Cully and it was with Green Bay at the time, you know. So it was just exciting to see all these local guys out there playing. And then you look at what a lot of our kids today. I mean, Marcus Mariota, Tua Tonga Vailoa. I mean, gosh, you know, it's not just their, their football ability. It's just the character of these individuals. You know, you look at, you know, so proud of these guys because when you watch them, I mean, they're ambassadors for the state of Hawaii. That's what they are. You know, and besides their talent and their abilities, their character, that really is the benchmark for what Hawaii's have been all these years. Well, you certainly set a standard back in the day. You continue to set a standard in your current role. Uh, Blaine Geisen, we appreciate it so much. Best of luck here going forward. We'll, we'll keep tabs and, and keep in touch, but uh, hopefully there will be some uh, prep sports in some fashion here in the not-too-distant future. And I certainly hope so. And thank you, Kanoa. Thank you, Jordan, for all the work that you guys do you know, promoting Hawaii sports and basically uh, just, I really enjoy listening to you folks. And again, I really appreciate what, uh, what you folks do for the state of Hawaii as well. Thank you. Be safe. Take Thanks, care. Coach. Aloha. Well, aloha. All right, well, let's move on. It's time for our post game best and worst. All right, this is how we like to end every episode of the podcast. Jordan, what is your best here for this episode of the show? Yeah, my best. We were talking about the Suns uh, a little bit earlier in the podcast. 8-0 in the bubble. They surprised the starters. They surprised their starters with the player intros being done by family members, pre-recorded. Uh, they had no idea it was coming, and you could see the guys getting kind of emotional, right? Because they're, they're doing everything they're supposed to. They, they're sequestered in the bubble. They're away from their families. They're away from their loved ones. Uh, and so they were surprised. Uh, you know, it's like Devin Booker out of, you know, Kentucky. And it was, uh, you know, a family member reading that off into the camera. Uh, and even I, I watched this, I saw it on Twitter and, and I thought, wow, this is, this is super cool. And even got a little emotional. It's like, man, you know, the family aspect to it. Uh, I just thought it was terrific what the Suns did. I thought it was brilliant. Yeah, the Suns were such a great story for this restart. And it really is a shame that we're not going to see them play on further because their confidence level is, is at an all-time high. They look like they were poised to make a run. Not, not just make the playoffs, but maybe even possibly make a run in the playoffs. It would have been interesting to see what they could have possibly done. All right, my best is a bit of a different route. I'm, I'm going into the uh, baseball realm, uh, but the Braves, the Atlanta Braves, decided to troll Blue Jays catcher Reese McGuire with a walk-up song. This was about a week ago. McGuire, earlier this year, back in February, was arrested for allegedly, how do I phrase this, uh, playing with himself in his car outside of a strip mall. That's right. It is uh, not a glorious look, certainly, for uh, Reese McGuire. Well, last Thursday in Atlanta, the Braves organist, which is a great word to use here amid this story and its details, uh, as they tend to do, the, the Braves organist played walk-up music for the opposing team, and when McGuire walked up to the plate, he played a rendition of Michael Jackson's Beat It. <laughs> like, that is an all-time trolling effort right there that that is shade at its uh, highest level it's almost um a little disappointing that there weren't like fans in the stands you know like you imagine a packed stadium and then people catching on uh and uh just rolling with that so yeah it was almost uh, almost wasted in a sense because it was like man you know you of all the times not to have fans in the stands <laughs> all right let's go to our worst what is your worst yeah my worst uh you know i was talking about the sons who would done so well you know following all the protocols in the bubble doing what they needed to do rewarded by having uh their their intros read off by family members um the opposite happened at Seahawks camp I don't know if you saw this but uh one of their undrafted rookies uh who was you know two thousand dollar signing bonus basically peanuts uh Kima Siverand uh tried to sneak a uh female acquaintance into the team hotel, which obviously is sort of serving as a little uh, sequester, I think, as Sean Payton put it, for the Saints. Um, dressed her up in team-issued gear, trying to play it off like she was part of the team. I don't know if he was trying to play off that she, she was another team member, like a player or support personnel. Um, but it was caught on video. He was immediately cut by the team. Apparently, the, the leadership council on the Seahawks uh, also signed off. They were like, yeah, we got to get this guy out of here. Um, but come on, man, what are you doing for anybody at this point? But of course, if you're an undrafted free agent who's fighting for their professional life, trying to, trying to just go ahead and make the team, like you gotta, you gotta maybe just, just hang tight. You know, it's, it's only going to last so long. You, you gotta make some sacrifices. 
Um, maybe not outside of a strip mall, but you got to make some sacrifices, you know? I was going to say, talk to Reese McGuire on how you can deal with some of those urges. There are better ways that are maybe safer for some of your would-be teammates. All right, my worst, uh, I go to Lou Holtz, man. I used to love Lou Holtz when he was the head coach at Notre Dame, uh, but he's kind of checked into the loony bin here in recent years. Uh, He compared college football to the storming of Normandy. That's right. The former Notre Dame and South Carolina coach told Fox News that college football needs to be played this fall amid the COVID-19 pandemic, saying, quote, let's move on with our life. When we stormed Normandy, we knew there were going to be casualties. There were going to be risks. And so I'm glad that Lou Holtz is painting the labor force and the participants on the field in college football to basically disposable figures amid this pandemic and then comparing college football and the endeavor of playing a game to those brave souls who stormed Normandy in the name of fighting Hitler and fascism. Nice comparison there, Lou Holtz. Just nailed it. Good job, buddy. Yeah. Sometimes the old football coaches, they go, you know, whether it's him or Ditka, like, it's like, coach, coach, just, just stop talking. Stop. We all loved you back in the day, right? It's like, just don't, don't ruin it. Don't ruin it for everybody. Um, If playing college football, one was anywhere near as risky as, you know, storming the beaches on D-Day, we should never play college football ever again. And two, if college football is as important as winning that war, um, we are seriously out of whack in our priorities. <laughs> so no matter which way you slice that, um, that's, uh, that's a bit of nonsense. Uh, yeah, you know, you're right. There's a little bit of a meat-headedness that presents itself with some of these uh, old-timey football coaches. Uh, this one was just uh, particularly egregious, I think, and fairly insensitive, especially at a time when you have so many players across the country who are sort of demanding a little bit of a greater amount of respect, if you will, uh, from those in positions of authority. All right, that's it for us. Thanks once again to Blaine Geisen for joining us as our guest. You can hit us up on Twitter at Kanoa Leahy, at Jordan Helley, at TalkSports808 if you want to uh, send us any form of feedback. Uh, we are stoked. We are on ESPN uh, Honolulu's website. We're on the Sideline Hawaii app. Uh, we are also now being aired in the mornings at 7 a.m. on ESPN Maui, a.m. 900 and 102.5. Uh, so very excited. You can also catch our episodes in their entirety on the ESPNMaui.com website. So uh, getting a little more exposure here for the podcast. Thank you for your support, Jordan. We'll talk again soon, bro. See you, man.